Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the From Starving to Savvy podcast for independent artists. Here, we share stories from artists, arts administrators, and other professionals working at the intersection of art and technology. Together, we work to interrogate the landscape of the arts industry and attempt to inject a refreshed sense of optimism to unravel the narrative of the starving artist. From Starving to Savvy is funded and produced by Last Draft Incorporated, a story company that specializes in online branding and expression for artists, entrepreneurs, and professionals with personality. I'm your host, Renee Coughlin, and you're listening to From Starving to Savvy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of From Starving to Savvy. Today is episode five, and we are here with Ben Brown Bentley, who is a perfect fit for our podcast, where we do our best to draw out stories that live in the intersection of art and technology. Ben's work with Monster Cat lives exactly there. For those of you not familiar with Monster Cat, they are one of electronic music's most influential independent record labels. They are a Canadian company based in Vancouver, and they're rapidly proving that independent labels have the ability to reshape the music industry landscape while supporting developing musicians. Monster Cat's mission is to connect artists with fans in a way that nurtures the spirit of sharing and family. And Ben leads Monster Cat's event division. In 2019, he produced label events in over 15 countries. With the impact of COVID-19, his role shifted heavily to navigating digital performances and has hosted over 30 artists through live stream concerts and reached millions of viewers around the globe. Ben's here today to share some of his experience and insights with us. Thanks so much for being here, Ben. Happy to be a part of this. So I'm wondering if you can just start us off by sharing a little bit more about Monster Cat and their role within this great big musical landscape. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Monster Cat was founded in 2011, uh, actually out in Ontario. Um, it was out of Waterloo, um, incubator out there. A couple friends, um, I think they just met playing like video games and stuff like that. They uh, also had friends that were making music and wanted to use a relatively new platform called YouTube to upload music. And at the time, YouTube wasn't really used a lot for music and wasn't really seen as a revenue source for artists. Um, so Monster Cut really rode that early digital wave uh, and that trend to going towards uh, streaming music or uh, purchasing music online. Um, and gaming has always been an integral part of Monster Cat from day one. Uh, so that's another key piece of our business. So obviously the digital side with, um, with YouTube and everything else, but then gaming integrations are a huge part of our business and really a, a unique offering that we give to artists that work with us as well. Uh, and we work with video games like uh, Rocket League. We just actually announced a partnership with Fortnite. Uh, so one of the largest video games in the world. Uh, as well as Roblox, which I believe has a couple hundred million active monthly users right now, uh, and we're their exclusive music provider. Um, so Monster Cat's been doing that since its very early days. Likewise with Twitch, we've been involved in, in streaming on Twitch as a platform with music since very early days and working with content creators and influencers. Um, the company does have several other divisions, so outside of being just kind of like a record label, um, we host events, which is primarily my role as doing concerts and festivals all around the world. 
working with brands like EDC and Tomorrowland mm-hmm. uh, and giving our artists opportunities to showcase around the world and tour. Um, we have our own in-house apparel division. So we do cut and sew lines of clothing, uh, and different apparel drops, and also produce some apparel for our artists. Um, we have our own uh, in-house development team. So we've created our own proprietary uh, software for um, music distribution as well as royalty collection. So that allows us to get our music out to a lot more places than an artist might traditionally be able to. Mm. Uh, So we have direct deals with DSPs all around the globe. Um, We also have like our own design team in-house and then admin and ops and everything else like that too. And so what does that relationship with artists look like? I know that Monster Cat does things a little bit differently than a traditional record label. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. So I guess that's the other unique thing about Monster Cat is um, being a digital first label, we decided to do everything quite differently, where a traditional label would sign an artist for uh, a multi-year deal or multi-album deal. Um, Monster Cat works on a track-by-track basis. Hmm. Um, so if we believe in you and we believe in the song, we'll work with you on that song. We're now moving to a little bit more of a slightly longer term commitment where it's we want to work with you on at least like three singles because we can do a little bit more with the artists if there's, we know there's more music coming. Um, but we still don't really like sign an artist's like work exclusively. Um, so because of that, it's constantly shifting how many artists we work with. Uh, through our history since 2011, I, I think six or 700 art, different artists and vocalists have released music with us. Um, within a given year, uh, I think our roster gets up to a hundred, depending on if you're counting collaborators and vocalists and things like that. And what do you see as the benefits for an artist to go with this kind of short-term commitment with someone like Monster Cat over something that is more long-term, like a traditional record deal? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, traditional record deals, you get an advance uh, and then that's basically like getting a loan from a bank and then to pay back that advance you have to work for the label until that is paid back or you meet other obligations within your contract um monster cat doesn't provide advances but what we do do is pay artists immediately and on a monthly basis so that's part of the proprietary technology that i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh, where a traditional label you might only get I mean, you won't get reports as frequently. A lot of the labels are getting better now and integrating more software to be able to do that. But traditionally, labels might pay out on like a 12-month or 18-month basis mm-hmm. uh, just because accounting was such a nightmare um, where we pay monthly for those releases. Uh, we also work on a 50-50 basis. So our terms are a lot more favorable than most labels that might be mm-hmm. taking 80%. Um, we're just able to be a lot more flexible with that too. Uh, we also typically sign the master and publishing for a lot of the records that we work with. And that's why we're able to do things like these gaming integrations where a lot of other labels are not able to do that. And you'll see if you get a song in something like Rocket League that the streams on Spotify or other monetized platforms will, will increase by a, an incredible amount. Um, so there's a huge amount of value of like the integrations and the flexibility that we're able to provide for the artists. Um, and the reason also that we don't sign them for kind of like exclusivity is that Monster Cat's always really believed in community. It's always been very community driven since day one. Um, and we believe that like, well, artists should participate in our community and we want to help them build their community as well. Um, 
community isn't limited to one place. Uh, and for them to be able to have that flexibility and work with other labels, they can continue to, to build their community and exist outside of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And what have you noticed about that ecosystem or that artist community at Monster Cat during this pandemic? Being a digital space first, have things really changed much for folks over there or are you kind of business as usual? Yeah, I mean, for the label, um, it's pretty much been business as usual during COVID actually, except Mm -hmm. for events. Um, Events has obviously been massively impacted. So we've moved from doing tours and festivals into digital streaming. Um, That is still, I think, in its kind of like infancy and we're seeing a lot of new models come out. Um, Monetization still really needs to be figured out because mm-hmm. tour is such an integral part of an artist's revenue stream and live streams just don't pay or don't pay nearly the same amount. So that's something that we've been actively working on is how can we actually get our artists paid for the time that we're put, they're putting in, mm-hmm. um, whether that be bringing in like brand partnerships for fan donations or ticketing live stream shows or whatever it might be. There's a, a lot of cool stuff happening in that space right now, but I don't think anybody's figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, Obviously, without artists being able to tour now, there's a lot more focus on on their music and their content. Um, so, yeah, we do have a lot more artists that are coming to us with music because they're starting to see more and more value in what the, the label can do for that, especially mm-hmm. uh, like in the gaming side and other things that we can, can get their music in front of. Um, I mean, the artists are hurting right now. A lot of our partners are hurting. Mm-hmm. artists, managers, agents, like everybody in that side of the industry. And we're seeing companies folding uh, and we have since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, but then on the flip side, our other partners in gaming are seeing the highest growth that they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So while the music industry is reeling from the loss of touring, there's huge opportunities to be seen in that music and gaming crossover. And that's where we're really well positioned to offer those opportunities. In addition to those brand partnerships and music and gaming integration, do you see any other opportunities on the horizon because of these current circumstances or anything that might inspire some hopefulness in artists who are, as you said, reeling from the loss of touring right now? Um, A lot of like technology focus on brand partnerships for sure. I mean, without artists touring as much, I think they have a little bit more time to, to get creative. And it's a lot about how do we do these cool campaigns to, to get our music heard more. Mm-hmm. Um, if you saw like the, the weekend just did a really cool uh, campaign with Spotify where he created this like virtual experience where a fan could go to a website and it's actually like a, this kind of like AI matrix version of the weekend talking to you and they use your Spotify data to like so the weekend will say, you've been listening to me since like this year, this is your favorite song of mine. Like, thank you so much for being a fan. Like there are these really cool tech activations happening. I'm sure we'll start seeing a lot more of those. Um, There are a lot of like interesting, like virtual concert type things happening. I know like Live Nation is doing quite a few virtual concerts. And I mean, still kind of on the gaming tip, but you see things like Travis Scott working with Fortnite to do like that mm-hmm. massive concert debut all in uh, within the, the gaming world. So mm-hmm. the, I think it's it was a trend that we were seeing before, but it's just been 
highly accelerated now. It's really great to hear about the ways that the gaps between these seemingly different industries or different parts of the entertainment industry are able to find each other and build stronger connections during this time. And it seems as though while we are all confined to a much smaller physical space and geographical space, there seems to be even more energy around finding and building on those clear intersections that already exist between music and art and other forms of entertainment. And I think that's exciting. And as you mentioned, definitely leads to other sustainable forms of revenue for artists in the future. I'm wondering if you are noticing any challenges or downfalls in the increasing amount of people that are engaging in this online streaming space. Yeah, I think the one thing that really needs to be figured out is creating that tangibility that you're missing from a live show right now. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these streams are just very one way. And there, there is that experience that you need when you go to an event with your friends or even just with strangers around you and being a part of that together it's very yeah. different than sitting in your home and some people are, are finding kind of cool ways of doing that where they'll watch a live stream and we'll have like zoom parties or using uh, a house party i know a lot of people have been kind yeah. of doing that where they create that experience simultaneously um some festival partners are like integrating that into their software you see artists doing sets now with green screens and they're actually having fans stream to the artist while the artist is streaming mm-hmm. so you'll see, like the fans kind of showing up behind the artist so they're trying to recreate that experience yeah still has a long way to go i think but it's it's definitely adding to that too I don't know that the online space could ever fully meet the challenge of replacing live shows, like you said. And I think anyone who's shared a physical space with live music would probably agree that there is a tangibility that's there that is irreplaceable. That being said, and I've asked a couple of our other guests this question as well, do you see this widespread adoption of live streaming sticking around even after the pandemic restrictions are gone? Festivals were the first thing that was canceled and they're going to be the last thing to come back. Um, mm-hmm. I, While I'm optimistic, we'll see some events come back for next summer. I, it's not going to be in the same scale and it's probably going to take two or three years for the industry to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, tours that were supposed to happen this year are getting pushed back to next year. And there were already tours that were supposed to be happening next year. So there's going to be a big fight for venues. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still going to be a need for an opportunity or market, at least for artists to do these streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I'm sure that once touring comes back, we'll see a bit of a dip in it. Because um, there are some artists that are just doing it because they have to right now, where there's mm-hmm. other artists that are doing it because they actually, they, maybe they hate touring. And they'd rather just be able to interact with their fans in the easiest way possible. They just want to sit at home, play video games, play some music and hang out. And, and they're actually loving this right now. Yeah. So I, I think it'll it's here to stay. I mean, it is something that we've been live streaming shows for, for five plus years. Um, so there were other people that have been doing it for a significant amount of time already. There was, I find with so many things in the music industry, there's a reluctance to move into the digital space or push innovation because there's this mentality like it's been working for so long, don't change it. Yeah. Anything with moving from 
album sales into streaming and online downloads or breaking up the album in, from a $15 album to like a 99 cent single. There's so much resistance. Um, but you're starting to see like labels be a little bit more easier on, on the rights. You're starting to see these platforms actually figure out proper licensing as well. And a lot of these, um, these bridges are being made to make streaming a lot, a lot easier. So in your position, having seen these shifts and changes along with the resistance and challenges to them, um, can you name any specific hopes that you have for the industry moving forward? And maybe you can speak specifically to hopes around how music and technology as two traditionally separate sectors might continue to work and grow together more closely. Already seeing the music industry starting to respect gaming a lot more, um, mm. and I hope that really does continue. Um, for a long time, I mean, music was just—I don't know if it, people thought they were too cool for gaming, and, and gaming was just that nerdy kind of subculture. Uh, but I mean, gaming is larger than music and film put together now. Is it uh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. I think the only industry, like entertainment industry, out there that's larger is uh, gambling. So it's gambling gaming film than music okay uh, and i can't remember where where brooks uh said in that one but um yeah there's a lot more respect towards gaming now and people are being more and more open where we used to almost have to force some people to realize that like these partnerships were worth doing and the value in these so it's making our life a lot easier to get artists interested in these partnerships mm-hmm. um, but then on the other side like for a long time games didn't see the value in music um they thought like you should just give me the music for free because i'm going to be promoting you where now games are realizing that music really creates and helps them build the narrative in their games like what's the first thing you think about when you think about mario is like the soundtrack like if you ever hear that like gold sound like you know it's mario or you ever hear like the old like zelda music like yeah. that brings back memories so music's such an integral part of that and games are starting to realize that and be more open to creative partnerships or, or payment for the artists too. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that, well, I know that trend is going to continue. Um, I do really hope that live streaming is figured out in a way that becomes more valuable to the artists and helps sustain them mm-hmm. um, and can be another revenue stream. So they're not solely reliant on touring as the way it's kind of trended over the last uh, few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I think somebody smarter than me out there is going to figure it out. (laughs) I'm realizing through this conversation that we've been talking a lot about music and art as entertainment and part of an industry or sector with consumers and monetary value and um, all of the commodification that capitalism requires. And um, I'm wondering if there is a line for you between art and entertainment and if there is uh, what is the difference between those things to you it's a good question the difference between entertainment and art um i mean i think entertainment's more of the consumption side of things mm. so you consume entertainment but you produce art mm. i don't know if you really consume art you can appreciate art um, I mean, art can be entertainment and that can be the same thing, but art is, I think, more in the eyes of the, the creator. Mm-hmm. 
where the entertainment's on the, the consumer side of things. Uh, I mean, how you define them is such, such a subjective thing. What might be art to you might not be art to me. What might be entertaining to you might not be entertaining to me. Yeah, you're making me think about what these things do to the person experiencing them. Um, so entertainment for me has this way of almost helping me to disconnect from myself and put myself in somebody else's shoes or or escape from my own reality in a way and art I think this is totally subjective but art I think has this way of pulling me into my humanity and helping me to better understand myself and who I am because of the way that I'm able to engage with an artist's offering of what their humanity feels like to them and how they engage with the world. And I think that both of those things hold a lot of value for us, but I don't know. No, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, art, art inspires, art is innovation, art is pushing boundaries. Entertainment doesn't require that. Entertainment just mm. has to keep you amused, I think. Mm. And, and art, inspires the entertainment and can push that boundaries um i'd say art maybe is a subsect of of enter of like the broader entertainment but it's kind of that like leading edge of entertainment and sometimes it can even push beyond that and entertainment needs to catch up with art Ooh, i like that i could keep talking about this question for the remainder of our time together but <laughs> i'm going to move us a little bit away from the philosophical kind of stuff and I'm really curious about any specific trends that you've noticed within your time at Monster Cat so you've been there for just four years and I know it is kind of a rapidly changing industry so can you kind of let us into anything that you've noticed in your time this is less of a reliance on labels uh, or less of a reliance on labels in the traditional sense because a traditional label was there to be it was your bank and it was your distributor. Um, so it took your, your product, which in this case is music, and it got the vinyls or the CDs sorted. It got them out to your HM, HMVs and your <laughs> SVs and stuff like that and handled that whole kind of like distribution process around the world. But now with the internet, you can just go to DistroKid or TuneCore or whatever else and you pay 30 bucks, your music's up and it's out to a bunch of stores. So. Um, artists don't need that service as much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, not all artists need that service, at least in the electronic music industry. Um, like physicals aren't really a thing in other industries a bit more so. Um, so labels have had to evolve and start offering other services. And now labels are a lot more part of like the value creation, the brand of the artists. Uh, they're trying to build their own brands themselves too, and use social media outlets and marketing machines and participate in management and that's why you also see these like 360 models of labels becoming more prevalent because it's no longer just about the music. It's about so many other pieces. Um, like we get involved in trying to facilitate brand deals for artists with sponsors and things like that. Cause it's not, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it is always really about the music, but there's so much else that can surround that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you see like Rihanna, like, her last big announcement was not an album, but it was a new makeup line. Right. And that's kind of like artists are no longer just musicians, they're, they're influencers, they're brands and everything else too. 
Uh, you have to be on social media all the time and building your brand. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a trend for the artists and, and for the labels and everybody in the music industry. Uh, you also see that it's like labels are trying to become managers. Uh, managers are also trying to become labels at the same time too, because now you have a lot of artists starting their own labels and building yeah. their own brands through that. Because it's so easy just to go to like a create or an e wall or something like that and just kind of use that software um, to build your own own labels out as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's this really like there used to be a lot more defined boundaries between roles. And I feel like a lot of that is starting to kind of blend together. And you really have to have a strong understanding of what value are you providing to this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a positive thing? Of course, everything yields its own challenges and unique set of consequences or impacts. But what does that shift mean to artists and to labels? Yeah, I mean, it has its pros and cons for sure. Um, from an artist perspective, I think there's a... Uh, for the larger artists, maybe it's not as great um, because they had such a large share of the market. Uh, mm -hmm. But for the smaller artists, there's this democratization of music with the internet. Um, mm -hmm. So while maybe it is a little bit more challenging that instead of just making good music, you now have to be a brand and have a social media presence and all these other things, like there's a lot more work to be involved. It's also just a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, I think AWOL just produced a stat uh, yesterday about the increase of artists through their platform that are making over $100,000 a year purely from streaming revenue. And it's been increasing significantly every year. Wow. So what that means, and it's been increasing at a larger rate than the music industry is growing. So there are more artists making a living off of streaming uh, than previous, which also means that like the, that share is now being spread out more evenly. It's no longer just like the top 10 or 20% of artists taking the bulk of the money. Mm -hmm. So I think for your new artists, even though there's so much more noise out there now because there are so many more artists that can publish their music, Mm -hmm. also never been as easy to get your music out there and if you have a good quality product to, to make money off of it mm -hmm. um from the label side i think for the dinosaurs it's definitely a, a hard thing because they have to innovate mm -hmm. um it's created a lot of opportunities for new labels to come out um i i believe the majors are are losing market share Mm -hmm. um, and indies have kind of become the the new major, uh, like through like collectives through Merlin and things like that. Yeah. Um, so for people like like Monster Cat, it's been great. There's been so many more opportunities, and we're able to get an advantage by creating these creative partnerships. It's not just about how um, can we partner with with HMV and Best Buy and get CDs out. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're reminding me of an earlier interview we did actually it was our first episode of this podcast with dan mangan and laura simpson who are the co-founders of side door access and they talk a lot about building up the middle class of artists and democratizing the industry like you were saying earlier and i think it paves the way for more diverse representation of music that hopefully shifts us from the big gatekeepers who are currently telling people what they should listen to and, and puts that decision-making process back into the hands of 
well, the consumer for one, but also giving that freedom, like you're saying, for more artists to actually share what they're making. There's a lot of power in creators that run and own playlists now. It's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they've kind of co-opted a lot of the role that the uh, the radio pushers had before. Um, mm-hmm. You uh, pay people to get your music on radio and radio really defined what a hit was. But now you get your song with the right Spotify curator and that can make and break a record. So mm-hmm. there's so much power in those, in those playlists. So noticing the ins and outs of the industry in the way that you do, I'm wondering what your best, biggest piece of advice would be to independent artists about how they should be utilizing technology to support their careers. I think more than ever, it's incredibly important for an artist to have a strong understanding of, of what their brand is and have a story. Um, and your music and your social media and your art and everything else about you has to tell that story. Uh, and if you have a great story and great music, obviously, and a good team around you, like have a, have a manager and have an agent if you can if you're at that level, um, then so many other doors will open for you. Um, like us as a label, when we're signing a new artist, they can be the smallest artists out there. They can have not even an Instagram account yet, but if they come to us with good music and a great story, we'll help them build that. Cause that's what we, that our job now as labels to help them build their social media presence and their followers and everything else. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have the product and the product is the music and the story, then there's nothing we can do. We're not here to create that for them. We're here to help them shout out to the world as loud as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really just what an artist needs, needs to focus on. And everything else hopefully falls into place from that if you have the right people around you. I think that's really important advice. And I know that when I first started playing music professionally, I thought all I needed was going to be one good song and the right person would just find it. And the idea that you could really have overnight success felt like something that was really real. But the more that I met people and the more that I learned about the industry, I realized that it's absolutely required of artists and music makers to also have that entrepreneurial spirit and really build a business around that story of who we are, as you were saying. And what I'm also gathering from what you shared is that labels can be a support that helps to uplift and amplify the story for an artist but they can't be the ones to create that story for us yeah we're we're here to be a megaphone more than anything else and there are so many great artists out there right now there's it's never been easier to put your music out there it's never been easier to make music right now so while the music is still like the most important piece of it there has to be more than just that even when we're going out and pitching music like we have this great new developing artist and we want to pitch it to to apple or spotify or to a radio station or something they'll be like okay cool like we trust the music's going to be good because you've signed it but tell me about the story why why should i care like who is this person where do they come from what are they what are they trying to say Mm -hmm. and you get asked that for almost everything even for like when we're trying to put an artist on the festival stage, they, they want to know like, does this artist have an ethos? Does that ethos fit with, with our brand as well? Are we aligned in our beliefs? Mm-hmm. 
it's a really beautiful vision that I think we can keep expanding and growing on within the industry for sure. Um, well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. And for everyone who's listening, thank you again for tuning in. We hope that you learned something new or found something to inspire you to keep moving in the direction of your dreams. Ben, wishing you all the best and thank you again for making the time to be here and share your experiences. Yeah, for sure. Good chatting. Yes. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Talk to you later. That wraps up this week's episode of From Starving to Savvy. Myself, along with the whole team at Last Draft, extend our most sincere gratitude to each of you for tuning in and giving your ears, your hearts, and your time to learning more about our guests and their unique stories and experiences. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Last Draft, an ethical, engaging, and human story company with a mission to authentically amplify the stories of those they work with. The team at Last Draft thrives on real connections, empowering stories, and authentic voices. If you are an artist or entrepreneur looking to start telling your story, Last Draft offers support through evocative written content, exciting virtual events, personal email campaigns, and more. To get in touch with a team member at Last Draft, please visit www.lastdraft.ca. Again, we extend our deepest thanks to each of you for tuning in and hope you'll be back for future episodes.